Welcome to the show, Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays talk about and review their favorite Star Wars content while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and there's... I was going to make a has-been hotel joke, but there are literally too many funny lines for me to do it. Go watch has-been hotel. It's very funny. I would not have gotten that joke. Whatever joke I'd ended up using, it was between a couple. They were mostly song lyrics, but also the, the thing about comedy... Here's the bad thing about comedy, right? Is if you're trying to pitch a comedy to somebody, the inclination is to use all the best lines from it. And then when they go to watch the thing, the lines aren't as funny because they've already heard them. So like the trailer for most comedy movies. Yes. That's the problem (laughs) with trying to pitch a comedy movie is you have to pick the mid-tier jokes and rely on them to be funny. Right. Anyway, Husband Hotel good, especially if you like show tunes and just dark ass humor. I, I really enjoyed the show. Before we get into our our topic for the episode today, really quick up front, we didn't prepare anything, but as of recording this, it is the 3rd of February, and unfortunately, uh, Carl Weathers, who plays Grief Karg in The Mandalorian, did unfortunately pass away yesterday. So we do want to acknowledge up front, and that sucks, man. Yeah. That sucks. That's sad. Uh, RIP to to Mr. Weathers. His performance in The Mandalorian was fantastic. His directing work was just fun. Uh, But he's also had a a long and and storied career even before he made it to The Mandalorian. So it's it's a great loss for entertainment uh, that he is no longer with us. Bradley, we're just going to move right along into the episode because I don't think we have any really big like production news or anything we have to talk about today. Uh, Percy Jackson still won't give us season two. Now we're going to get into the problem of you're going to say stuff like that and then things are going to happen and we're not going to talk about the fact that you're like, I said last week that they didn't get a season two. And then the season two announcement is going to be like tomorrow as of recording. And you're going to be like, you're going to feel so silly. Yeah, this this did happen. You see, Bradley, I will not feel silly because I'm doing it deliberately. <laughs> I have I have learned the power that we possess. That's right. I have learned the abilities that you and I possess. And so I am now trying to weaponize those abilities for good to get myself a Percy Jackson season two renewal. But we are not talking about Percy Jackson. What are we talking about today, Bradley? Today we're talking about Ahsoka episode six, part six, far, far away, where the search for Grand Admiral Thrawn reaches beyond the limits of the galaxy. Charles, what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? I really, really love visually how this episode looks. I have a note uh, later on that it's very Lord of the Rings. Return of the King is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I have watched that trilogy probably more times than I've watched the original Star Wars trilogy, which is kind of surprising given I make a Star Wars show. Uh, But I just love the feel of this episode. I think it's so weird and interesting. I think the choices that they made with the design of the the Noti and the design of the bandits and the design of the tower and all of that were really great, interesting choices. One thing I didn't like... So I can sort of understand that Ahsoka doesn't have much of a presence in this episode. She's at the beginning and mentioned at the end and also once during the episode. Uh, But if we're going to have an episode that almost exclusively focuses on Sabine, I feel like the Sabine of it all was lost in the weeds a little bit. Uh, Like she she has a character and we'll get to some of the, the neat character moments she has in this episode. But for the first half of it, 
It's kind of the reverse of the last episode. The first half, she's not really a presence in it because we're so hyper fixated on what we're hyper fixated on. And then we get to the back half of this and we're like, oh, this was supposed to be the Sabine episode. And we follow Sabine. So I wish Sabine had had a little more of a presence and some agency in the first half of the episode rather than just being yanked from being in prison to being in, like standing around. So that was that was my only gripe with it. Bradley, what about you? One thing you liked and one thing you did not one thing i liked about this episode was that it felt like oh now we're giving our antagonists our villains you know something to do like we really got into more of the weeds of this is a villains episode and i really liked it i actually the thing i didn't like which is kind of somewhat similar to yours i think it should have just been no sabine i really rather would have just taken her out of it completely and then we've had more time to spend with shin and balin and thrawn and all the other characters i think it would have just i don't know for me if you're gonna do that like have this kind of episode without Ahsoka like let's go really far you know to the right and like let's just have everybody who's evil just be like the main focus this season and then have Sabine she could be doing stuff in the background but like it's not as important until next week maybe you know something like that maybe that's just what I would have liked more so I, I just like structurally wise I probably would have liked to focus more on the antagonists this episode just to kind of get more motivation and things from that I have a note you're going to find really interesting. <laughs> Great. I have I have a note that might actually have fixed that problem for you. Oh, okay. But we'll get to it when we get to it. Section one, Ahsoka and Hu Yang traveling through hyperspace in a purgle. Ahsoka mentions Sabine willingly joining the enemy and Hu Yang sees it as the force guiding her. To pass the time, Hu Yang begins a story which begins with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Title card, part six, far, far away. I must again, once again say that the, the show is beautiful. The shot yeah, is, of the is this Pergil. different hyperspace, like, or it's like slightly different. This is slightly different hyperspace, yeah. That we've it's seen. It's like colorful. Recently. Yeah, it's like rainbowy almost. Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot, actually. <laughs> I wonder if this is like natural hyperspace, like this is what Ooh. hyperspace actually is, and the hyperspace that their technology taps into is just the blue, because we also know from the High Republic that when that hyper, and we also know from like uh, Rebels and other things that messing with hyperspace can turn it. Different colors it can turn it red oh that's right mm -hmm. like so yeah I when they pull them it, out yeah it's like a... i wonder if the the pergil are traveling like on a different spectrum of Ooh, light i like that and the technology they have can only do the blue oh okay i like that i like a little fake science throwing yeah we'll throw like... some fake science <laughs> in our space fantasy story sure so people will confuse it with science fiction for decades it's not it's space fantasy but i love it i'm gonna make that my headcanon that the purgle use rainbow waves to travel through space so there you go absolutely hu yang and ahsoka have this wonderful little conversation i do i do like the history of the galaxy parts one two and three that she says one is the best because like prequels originals and sequels obviously ahsoka thinks the prequels are the best that's so funny to me <laughs> like that this whole scene is one giant like meta love letter to star wars like just the little lines that they have and then the one at the end well, also, it's just like, I mean, this is the first time we've actually just said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away out loud. Like, we've said that out loud. It's not just a little text in the beginning of the movie anymore. No, and it's they're doing it because they're going to a galaxy far, far away. I know it's it's, it's clever and it's also a nice homage at the same time. Like it's like, it's like I love it. Oh, Dave, we see what you did there, but it's pandering to us. So it's fine. 
There is also some interesting dynamics happening between Ahsoka and Huyang in the scene when they talk about Sabine. That Ahsoka clearly still has doubts about Sabine because she knows that Sabine went with Balin willingly. But she does seem more open to listening to Huyang now and sort of listening to the Force, which I found a really interesting beat for the character. It's great. I love this scene. If if this was the only scene we got, it was it was a good scene. If yeah, if the two like or like if Ahsoka only has to be in one scene in this whole entire episode, I guess this is okay. Like this is not a bad like little intro to the show. Now, my only gripe with it is it does nothing to set up the episode or tease it in any other way other than giving Sabine some kind of explanation, be like it's the Force guiding her, but she I don't know. I it doesn't really connect too much to her story in this episode, like as much as I would like it to. Like I feel like they should have set her up a little bit more. It could have gone in anywhere like realistically in the episode like if you you could drop it in the middle of the episode you could drop it at the end of the episode it really doesn't matter where in the episode this scene goes i like it at the beginning because of hu yang's line that implies that they're going to be in there for a while so i do like that but really you can put the core meat of the scene basically anywhere section two sabine wakes up in a prison cell the eye emerges from hyperspace at Iridia, and Elspeth states how the planet was the ancient homeworld of her people, the Dathomiri, and how her ancestors were the first to ride the Purgle. Balin remarks on the planet's nature as a Purgle graveyard as the eye passes through the planet's rings, which are made up of Purgle bones, and Shin collects Sabine from her cell, and the two, along with Morgan and Balin, travel to the surface. The group meets three Night Sisters known as the Great Mothers. Morgan confirms that the Night Sisters' visions guided her across the stars. One witch remarks that Ren stinks of the Jedi and marks her as dangerous, restricting her and sending her away to a prison cell. So we have three new actors, uh, Charles. <laughs> we have like three new actors in this scene. Do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about these? Because there's one of these actors that I real fucking want to talk about. Oh really? Okay. We'll see. We'll see if you know why. One of these actors fucking floored me when I heard her voice. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to go in the order that I just, I guess I just randomly did it. We'll start with Gerald Prescott. She is playing one of the Night Sister Mothers. Uh, her character name in, on the uh, IMDb is called Actropa. That's her name. I didn't know that. She's known for uh, The Walking Dead, a Swamp Thing, and a show called All the Queen's Men. Next up, we have Claudia. Now, side note. Side note, I haven't watched Swamp Thing, but her character's name seems to imply she's playing some sort of magic user. Let me double check that real fast. This is the thing Charles didn't research. Like her name in he, Swamp Thing? Your name in Swamp Thing seems to imply. Yeah, if this is the same character that I'm Googling, uh, it's a comic book mystic. So she's playing, she plays a very witchy character in Swamp Thing, apparently. Gotcha. Okay. Which maybe this may be this may be a reference. Her casting may be a reference to that. But she has apparently played a witchy, at least a character who in the comic books is more witchy. All right. Who's next? Next up, we have Claudia Black. Her character name is Lotho. Clotho. I don't know how you say that. She is known for Farscape, Final Space, and uh, lots of video game voices such as Uncharted: The Lost Legacy. Wow, you fucking phenomenally failed at researching this woman. Okay. <laughs> Claudia Black is a nerd goddess who has been in so much sci-fi shit, it's insane. The thing she is the most known for, I think, in the movie sphere is actually the movie Pitch Black with Vin Diesel, the very first Riddick movie. She's in that movie. However, 
When you looked at the list of video games, Bradley, that she's in, uh, including such things as Gears of War 4, Destiny 2, the Uncharted games, Mass Effect 3, uh, and also Mass Effect 2, did you maybe notice a particular series on here that I've mentioned once or twice or 300,000 times? No. No? She is a mainstay of the Dragon Age series from Bioware, otherwise known as that other thing I don't shut up about. She's the voice of Morrigan. Morrigan is one of the main characters of the series. She is a Witch of the Wilds. So if you're a Dragon Age fan and you heard this voice and you went, well, well, what have we here? That's Claudia Black. That's Morrigan. She plays a witch in the Dragon Age video game series, and that's it. Nothing else. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Don't you dare cut that out, Bradley. I will uh, fucking kill you. <laughs> and last, uh, but certainly not least, we have Jane Edwina Seymour, who's playing, her character name is Lake. Lakesis? 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 I'm sure there's a reason for these names. I know. I know. You know what? I, I probably should have gone on Wikipedia and looked at like what they their names were or if they mean anything or anything, but I didn't see anything. So uh, she is known for uh, Star Trek card and Deadly Women. Now, so. I couldn't find any, like, witchy roles for her, uh, the same way I could find for the other two with Madame Xanadu and Morrigan, but uh, she did play the, she was the body double for the Borg Queen, or the, played, played the body, Borg Queen body double in Picard, which was the closest I could find. Yep, so that's the three, uh, witches of Dathomir. That's well, the three witches. The three witches. The three night sisters, we should say. We'll we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to the the number three, the great mothers, uh, in a second here. First, I want to talk about the the little exchange that Balin and Shen have. Oh, not Balin and Shen. Balin and Sabine have, where he's like, "I would have thought that you would have had some time for reflection." And Sabine's like, "Yeah, I don't really do that." <laughs> Balin goes, "Yeah, I can tell." Love their dynamic. Anyway, we we then get Night Sister lore. How are you feeling about Night Sister lore, Bradley? That you're in a renaissance right now. Good uh, lord. We are eating good on Night Sisters. Uh this they you know, Ahsoka show said Night Sister writes, uh, we're gonna get every single they're like, we're just gonna put a little bit at once they show up, we're just gonna have a little bit every episode. You're just gonna get a little bit more, a little bit more. And now our yeah, after our Bad Batch trailer, you know, now we're just getting a Night Sister Renaissance. And I feel like season two is really gonna punch it too. So we'll see. I'm excited. Yeah, we'll come back to that Bad Batch trailer here at the end of the episode. Yeah, we find out uh Peridia was the original homeworld of the Dathomiri, that what we think of as the Night Sisters are in fact the descendants of people who harnessed and rode the Star Whales across to our galaxy to settle on Dathomir, which is a lot to take in. Yeah, I I'm like you're just going to keep giving us stuff, Dave, aren't you? You're just going to keep yeah. doing this to yeah. us. <laughs> Dave fucking loves the Night Sisters. He's just going to keep writing shit. Also, I mean, everybody loves the Night Sisters. We're constantly getting little crumbs of Night Sister stuff. It was pointed out to me, there's a short story by Dave Filoni's wife in, I think it's Stories of Jedi and Sith, about this young Dathomiri girl. Uh, it was pointed out to me that it's highly likely that story is about Morgan Elsbeth. So now I have to go back and reread that and be like, is this Morgan? But it's written by Dave's wife. Oh. Which I recently learned. Maybe in the intervening time between episodes, I'll go back and read my copy of Stories of Jedi and Sith. Because I remember that story being weirdly out of place at the time. But now. But now. <laughs> is it Stories of Jedi and Sith? 
Maybe. I have to look into it. Anyway, that was a digression. Peridia, uh, we finally do kind of figure out how the whales know how to get here. This is a graveyard. It's instinctual. Right. They come here to die. They come here to die. Ezra and Ahsoka just harnessed... When they both did their thing, they both tapped into, like, factory reset default settings right for the pergel and rode them back to wherever the default setting is which is wherever they are they know how to get to this point it's like i was gonna make a thing about bird migrations and then realize that i don't know how bird migrations actually work uh, <laughs> i was gonna say probably about the same as much information you know about actual whale migrations so there you yes go. <laughs> yeah same same deal it's like they this is this is a graveyard for them they it's kind of like i think how like fish and stuff know how to like they know where their spawning grounds are they instinctually pretty much know how to find these places the whales pretty much know how to find this graveyard and so both ezra and ahsoka were able to tap into the same default settings there's your answer there's how they managed to do this so for everyone saying i don't understand how this works this is how it worked right i love the little awkward landing ride down to the surface of peridia where they're all in the they're all in this like shaking shuttle and everybody's staring forward except for shin who's just like staring at sabine <laughs> she i like yeah I, well first of all i i have to point out morgan uh using just droids to do everything for her which is great yes uh i do love that uh for or her like who's weird little be... mercenary guys but yeah her right. droids do all her piloting yeah for someone who's like a magic user i just find it interesting that she's very heavy on droid usage like i just i find that interesting uh i do want to note how the statues on the surface appear very randomly placed uh we know these are ruins of the witch Witch Kingdom. They call it the Witch Kingdom of Dathomir later on in the episode, which is interesting that they use kingdom for the Witch Kingdom of Dathomir. But we don't have time to unpack that. This is not an archaeology podcast. But I do want to note that the statues on the surface being random reminds me a bit of the statues on the surface of Malachor. Oh, okay. They're not the same statues. Like, these are obviously very different. They're carved with the, like, Night Sister appearances, the ones that we will see down the line later on in Dathomir itself. Uh, but their sort of random placement and then their shape sort of reminds me of the, the surface above the Sith superweapon and Malachor. Just want to point that out. So I'm live giving you an answer to your question you had early on uh, about the three Night okay. Sisters because <laughs> I forgot that I wrote it down. Okay. Um, so here you go. The three witches, Actropaw, Clotho, and Lexus, are clearly named after the three fates of Greek mythology. Okay. Uh, I, I have in my notes later on that they're meant to invoke the three fates. I just didn't look up what the three fates' names actually are. Okay. I can, so I can tell fates. you, and it's almost fates. identical. Uh, they're the three fates. Yeah, it's Atropos, Clotho, and Lachis or whatever so they're it's very similar wow fake yeah. percy jackson fan yeah I, I was just about to say the names uh, of the fates yikes i didn't know greek, my greek mythology oh awkward actually it literally is my next note you have sniped my note out from under oh. me again well there you go That's well done i'm in charge of notes now i guess <laughs> Uh, yes, the, the three witches are direct references to the three fates from Greek mythology. You'll recognize them from such things as the recent Bruce e. Jackson show and also Hercules. Uh, they're the ones cutting the string in Hercules, uh, which is also probably why their magic that they use in this episode sort of looks thread-like, and they reference a thread later on. Right. Now they're it also, all makes sense. <laughs> they're also kind of, because again, we're seeing this this uh, repeated pattern of threes, they reminded me of the three witches from Macbeth. 
which are probably based which are on probably the references fates. to the three fates, <laughs> but specifically because we were talking about Macbeth earlier in our oh, coverage yes. of Ahsoka. Uh, my next note, purely for me and no one else, is oh god, it's Morrigan. That was just for me. It's my immediate reaction. God, I love Claudia Black so much. She's so fucking cool. They refer to the Night Sisters here as the Great Mothers. So we don't know if these are ancient or whether or not they're like descendants or if they're like original great mothers from thousands of years ago that are still just sort of hanging out. It's it's very unclear what they are. Right. They certainly look like regular regular old night sisters. They look like Talzin. Well, I was thinking maybe they're all that's left of whatever is left on the planet, I guess. And they just happen to be at that status of mother status, I guess, which is... Well, we don't see any... Li- their their goal is to flee the planet. We don't see any living night sisters with them. Right. We'll get, we'll get to what else is here in a couple of notes down, but... Uh, I love that Sabine, they look over at Sabine and Sabine's like, sup, I'm I'm also here. Yeah, they're like, who's this bitch? <laughs> Get her out of here. Uh, I love it. I love how sassy Sabine is, even when being captured. It's very rebel of her. What I don't love, though, however, is she goes from one prison cell to another one immediately. And it's like, huh? Why are we doing like one after the other? We're, we're like, shuffling her from cell to cell. Yeah, it's just like, I don't understand it. For some reason. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but whatever. Yeah, I guess I guess they want to keep her close to hand. I guess they don't want to leave her on the... Because they take the mercenaries with them. They, I guess they don't want to leave her on the Eye of Sion with a bunch of droids. Especially if she yeah, is so. able to use the Force. They don't want her alone on the ship with droids. That's so true, they probably want to keep her close by just in case Balin and Shin need to intercept her. Balin did make a very specific promise to her, which is we will let you go find Ezra. So in order to do that, she has to be on the surface and they don't really want to waste any time waiting for her to come down to the ship so they can do their thing. It's better just have her and kind of shove her out the door and go, okay, there you go. Tee hee. Have fun. Bye. That's true. Now, my other I don't want to call it a complaint, but my other thing about this scene is why do they single her out as being reeking of Jedi when Balin and Shin are right there and Balin has been a Jedi before and I don't think your smell changes based on what you mentally believe you are. They kind of explain it in that Balin, like he talks about he left the Jedi Order a long time ago. He really does not seem to be like because jedi isn't a power set right it's not a physical thing it's a mentality it's a belief system he clearly does not believe that anymore shen he explicitly states later in the episode he never raised to never trained to be a jedi sure sabine was specifically trained to be a jedi by ahsoka I think that's what's going on here. Gotcha. Section three. While Evil Incorporated waits for Thrawn, Balin and Shin discuss Peridia and hint at Balin's true intention. Sabine, once again in confinement, attempts to open the cell door using the Force. Though the cell begins to rumble, she looks out the window to see the arrival of an Imperial Star Destroyer, the Chimera. The ship descends to meet the group. Grand Admiral Thrawn, accompanied by night troopers, greets his allies, acknowledging Elspeth's role in ending their exile. He introduces Captain of the Guard, and mentions a cargo transfer agreement with the Night Sisters. Thrawn reunites with Sabine and decides to let her go. She is given a mount and heads out in search for Ezra. Thrawn later explains that he allowed Ren to leave to find Bridger only so that Shin and Balin can follow and destroy them both. This whole section you just read is like a solid third of my notes. <laughs> Good. Okay, let's get Maybe into it. Maybe even half then. my notes are, are this section alone. I find the dynamic between Shin and Balin really interesting. 
I think that Balin being such a realist and, you know, he dismisses pretty as children's stories and then he's, he feels overwhelmed when they turn out to be true. All of this having, but he's got this history with all this history, essentially. He's got this history with this mythology that Shin does not have. Shin's just sort of along for the ride. Shin only knows what Balin has told her which I find really interesting because there's parts of it she clearly doesn't understand. There's parts of it that clearly he hasn't told her, which I think is just a really neat dynamic between the two of them. It's a very warped Master Padawan relationship that he's, he's not training her to be the best version of herself. He's training her to be who he wants her to be, who he thinks she should be. Yeah, and I was thinking like, I I almost wonder if, if they keep going with this and they push it a little bit more, I think you could, maybe she would come to maybe somehow resent him in some way only because like, I think she's more interested in the power and becoming a better version of herself really. Right. And which is kind of clear because she, I think she mentions in this bit, she's like, Oh, we're, we're going to get some more power or whatever. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not the most important thing. Like he's like, what's important is X, Y, Z. And so I feel like she may come to resent him for this. And then that's, maybe hopefully the turning point for her character and she's like nah i'm not gonna live for him i'm gonna live for myself kind of thing so maybe we'll see a change in her character following well she's also been living in an echo chamber for so long with him basically just bouncing back and forth she hasn't had any exposure to other force users beyond balin so she's much more susceptible to the dark side because she was not given it's he's almost kind of repeated the same mistake of the jedi but worse this time she has not in any way been given the tools to deal with the temptation of the dark side she has not she is not at all prepared to deal with like that creeping influence that lust for power that desire to to be stronger than other people it's these two actors do so much with these scenes they are just chewing the hell out of the scenery which it's this exact scene which is why i wanted more of just these characters doing their own stuff by their like by themselves this episode because it just like it was like oh wait now we're actually getting into like what balin is trying to do like what wait what is he trying to do like i want to know more because he we find out he was at the temple jedi temple apparently when it fell because he talks about watching it fall or watching it burn um or it kind of could be in the metaphorical sense because they seem to be conflating the jedi temple with the jedi order when they talk uh yeah so he might be talking metaphorical about watching the Jedi burn and she says the temple but he also talks about how and this is so funny that he says this line he says it's all inevitable it repeats again and again talking about the same cycles over and over and over again which is a common criticism of Star Wars right but the same things just happen over and over and over again I'm like bro that's a common criticism of history and I like how he said that he's going to break the cycle that's what he thinks he's going to do right we know he won't be successful because we've we've seen the sequels we know he won't but he's identified this issue which is that it's it's this constant repeating cycle that he needs he feels like he needs to break but that's not how history works and that's not how society works it's unfortunate and you can have these bold ambitions but the reality of the situation is that's not going to work out for you I do love the force fake out. Oh, where she's, yeah, trying where she's to escape. Pushing, it's like, oh, she might be doing it. She might be doing it. And then the chimera appears behind her. Oh, so good. This, the direction in this episode is fucking stellar. My God. This one, this shot and the shot when they're coming down through the uh, cloud bank and we see the statue through the window. And then it like, we see more of the environment of Pridia. A, a plus shot. 
masterclass shot. Anyway, that that is the Chimera. You can see where, because Bradley, you watched Rebels right before watching this show. I did. So I immediately recognized the nice tattoo on the bottom of the yep. ship. <laughs> you can also recognize where the Pergil grabbed it. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you can see the damaged uh, bits that have been replaced slash fixed slash detailed differently. I don't know. They're almost kind of doing that thing where they fill it in with gold. Uh, well yes i forget the name of it's it's a it's it's called something it's a practice it's called something it's a japanese practice where you you take a broken object and you fill it together with with gold kylo ren's mask does this in in the rise of skywalker that's what they do with it where they forge his mask back together uh but it's it it almost kind of looks like that it's cool i like it uh we are we are taken immediately if you are like me and you're a terrible human being then you were taken from the awe-inspiring majesty of seeing live-action Chimera to going, is it fucking lowering itself down onto the dick tower? I love how you only saw that because I definitely did not. I did not even register in my brain. There, it, oh, it's not me. It's not me. There were so many jokes when this episode came out <laughs> about specifically shots of the tower going up into the bottom of the Chimera. So many jokes I about this. I, I love this for Star Wars fans. Well, I love it for two reasons. One, because obviously sexual innuendo. But the other reason is practicality for it i'm trying to think like the shape of the star destroyer and then it's coming down onto the top of the platform but it is it like i I can't really tell if it's resting on it and then they just like turn off the ships or like the propulsors are still making it like float so it's still being like it's still on like it's still not you know i remember some controversy when because i think legends had established that capital ships like this couldn't do uh low orbit or right right above the ground and i remember some controversy when rogue one came out over the star destroyer that's parked above jetta right in low orbit above jetta they they don't seem to care right because isn't the controversy or whatever it's that like it would have it's it's an object that large would have its own orbit to a degree of some kind so it would be like well it would get you would you would have to be put there would have to be some sort of repulsors you had to push it up right constantly it's not just going to float like if you put something in orbit right the way that my understanding of how physics works and i i did my degree in screenwriting so i obviously do not know so you're obviously a master in science oh clearly math and (laughs) is the way orbit works is that you're still falling but you're kind of falling around the planet right right you're falling in such a way that you're falling constantly and you just kind of spin the gravity you spin around it if you get too low then eventually the angle becomes such that you gradually start to get closer and closer and closer to the planet and then eventually you crash into it so this is obviously too low but it's a fantasy so we don't really care right i mean penetration will always find a way bradley to make physics work for it <laughs> you know why not let's just you know let's just go with it i think oh, it works going it's, to hell. it's great i love it i'm going to hell oh boy look we all knew thrawn is a bottom okay we all knew it his ship should reflect the christ I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> no, they won't even accept you there because that's how annoying you are. <laughs> Probably just giving me a look like I'm going to have to cut all this out later. Oh, all of it. Ugh. Shout out once again to the music, which rules. 
the blaring like organs. Yeah, this has Thrawn like a different appears. like it. Totally, the music totally changed when they were like, "Oh, let's introduce Thrawn now," and it was yep. like, "Whoa!" Because it's it's a total change for the show. The show yeah. has now altered by Thrawn's presence, and so the music has changed slightly. And also, it's a variation of his original theme hmm. in Rebels. Before we get to Thrawn, we get a look at the Night Troopers. And maybe you can help me with this, Bradley. I'm I'm not sure what to make of them. I don't okay. like them. No. Um I'm, I'm trying I'm to look at my Funko Pop version right now. Um so I I I like the the gold and the holding, you know, the broken bits together just like the ship. It's very, you know, it's supposed to be the same thing, obviously. And then can you just look up what that's called so we can actually say it so we don't have to keep dancing around like whatever that's called. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> I feel bad not mentioning it. And it's like clearly a major part of this episode. Uh, I am almost certainly mispronouncing this word for which I apologize. Kintsugi. Okay. Is, so... the, is the actual name of the concept. The According to Wikipedia, it's the uh, Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of a breakage with an urushi lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. Uh, as a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. Okay. I, I like that part of the design. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't mind the red. I think the red is supposed to invoke, obviously, the Night Sisters and just kind of being like, they're clearly a part of this. I mean, practically, it doesn't make any sense. I have no idea why they need fabric on their outfits. It doesn't do anything. And I'm trying to look at the Wikipedia page and see like anything about them, but they're just interesting. I mean, they're not really that much different other than just being weird and we don't know what they are yet um yeah and i don't think we really find out because when i first watched them yeah when i first saw them i thought the idea of having troopers night troopers obviously they invoke the night sisters uh, the idea of having these troopers who've kind of gone feral was really interesting that their design is all dirty they're no longer uniform they've patched together what they can but they're still maintaining that imperial sense of a lack of individuality i found really interesting in the design we just really don't get any good explanation what they are like are they supposed to be the troops that went there on the star destroyer with thrawn what, what we also find out there's another wrinkle that's going to be tossed into it in episode eight i'm not i'm not a hundred percent sure i guess we'll really get into them when we get to episode eight yeah i'll, I'll save scene. i'll save the description because there is a little explanation for them a little bit later on so, and i think okay. we really don't get most of that until later on but it does say some things about them that we'll come back to. So yeah, let's wait until that episode and then we'll, we'll okay. go into the night. Let's uh, let's talk about the two new actors that are in this scene. We didn't sure. do it up top. We didn't do it up top, but they're both, they both are going to make appearances very quickly. So we might as well just talk about both of them. Let's do it. Starting with the biggest and the best and the greatest and the bluest. <laughs> <laughs> These are all words. These are all things describing him. I'm just kidding. Reprising his role now in live action previously only voiced uh, in Star Wars Rebels. Lars Mikkelsen is doing the uh, acting for Theron. He is mostly known for in America, uh, The Witcher, House of Cards, and Star Wars Rebels, of course. Uh, he does a lot of other 
more international uh, things. I didn't want to go and list all of them because I never heard of half of these shows or movies. So, but he has a very prominent career. I just don't know any of the stuff that he's in because it's not uh, it's not an American thing. So, so Lars, him. yeah, Lars Mikkelsen is a Danish actor. He is the brother of Mads Mikkelsen, who you might remember as Galen Erso in Rogue One. I most know him in live action from the show Sherlock. Oh, okay. Sherlock. He appears in the third season of that show, as I think Charles Augustus Magnuson is the character that he plays. Uh, but that's that's what I remembered him from. It was that and Rebels prior to this, uh, and also for being Mads Mikkelsen's brother. Good for him. Second, we have Captain of the Guard of the Night Troopers. His name is Enoch. Uh, he is played by Wes Chatham. Uh, he is known for Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 and 2, uh, the movie Tenet, and the show on Amazon, The Expanse. Great news, everyone. This is not Eli Vanto. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I think that was that was the rumor, right? I think. Did we talk about that in episode? There zero? was there was when so there was a rumor that went around when West Chatham's count, uh, casting was announced. He was only described as Thrawn's, Thrawn's right hand man. I almost just made an incredible Freudian slip there that we'll get to in a second. And some people were like, wait, is that Eli Vanto? And then we all looked at him and went, he no. better fucking not be. That is yeah. a white ass man. No. And Eli also, Vanto is definitely not a white man. He's also um, not a built fucking jock like i don't know like that's just not yeah we all looked at this like this is exactly the wrong fortunately fortunately this it's is not definitely eli not vanto. who he is yeah <laughs> eli vanto is off in the chist ascendancy doing chist ascendancy things sure but yes um i do remember when that came out we were all like mm, dave dave what are you doing what are you dave? doing here what are you doing uh this but is a change we cannot accept <laughs> we cannot accept this nope but fortunately, he is playing this Captain Enoch character who's clearly a very different character from one Eli Vanto. I like it. Uh, I, what do you think about the design of this? No, this one I love. This one I love. Yeah. I love the design of this guy. This guy is so weird. It's creepy. It's cool. It's, it's creepy. It's almost kind of got like a Revenant vibe to it. Like, like he's wandering around in this suit of armor that's long, like had the glitz rusted away from it. And you can tell where it was gold, but the gold has faded. He also has like, a, the face is so interesting to me because the whole point of the Stormtroopers is to remove their individuality. He has his own like individual faceplate, but it still completely lacks any definable markers. It's like the hell, it's like it's supposed to invoke the Imperial officer helmets that do show the face, but the face has been filled in with this gold. It's really cool. Captain Enoch's design is really interesting to me. I fucking love it. I, it's, I mean, it does, it, it's very reminiscent of, you know, all the special troopers of the past. So Phasma, Ire, Cardinal, you know, all the ones that have like a special suit that's just for them, that's very designated and different. This is like, and he's He's just cool he just looks fucking cool and i love the creepy mask i think that actually makes it even better than if he was just a gold and white stormtrooper like with his face cut out so we would, could see wes's face i mean that would that to me that would not have been a bad choice either because it would have been nice however actually i think what it does not only does it make it more 
mysterious about his character. Like we don't know what's under there and we never find out. So it's nice to be like, not in this season. We don't. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he'll come back in season two and we'll get more to this character. I don't know. Uh, It it seems like that could be possible because at least I don't think that casting Wes was a mistake. I feel like they're Dave always has like this long game mentality. So I feel like, because if, if that was, if that character was not important or something in the future, why would you bother casting like an actual actor or something? You could just have a stunt double or somebody do this role and it wouldn't be that big a deal because then, you know, we could replace them and change them out with other people if we had to for any reason. But the fact that he casts somebody who is pretty prominent actor, I, I don't see like why that's not intentional. I feel it has to be. I agree. There's, there's something here that spoilers for the end of the season we have not figured out yet. Right. All that is great and all, but I want to talk about the shot of Thrawn's cunty little boot walk that he does. <laughs> He has the little imperial slippers on and he's just sashaying along. And he's got his little puffy pants and everything. He's got his little puffy pants. So cute. I love it. Great. Okay. He looks looks great with one big exception. I I was just about about to say, like, what what do you think about his portrayal in live action? Like, what do you think of the look? Oh, it's it's fucking everything about it is great with one one major exception. I love the costume. I love the way Lars does the body language for him because Lars had previously only done the voice. Mm -hmm. So now I think he talked about having to do like change up his body language too to portray this character uh, because that's previously would have been something the animators would have worried about uh i think how they did the visual design of thrawn and how they do i think that's makeup that he's in is really good uh, uh i think i mean i don't know, I don't know. makeup or cg or it's a combination i, I can't think it's tell. a combination he yeah. looks like a he looks like a chiss like he looks like a real person no i like it i think it is a combination though i don't know something about it sometimes when i watch him in the scene it seems like it's tracking like the blue is tracking with him so it's not like necessarily his skin tone i don't i don't i don't know I, i'd have to see the making of ahsoka and right. like see like a which i have not video. watched i was gonna say i have I haven't either, and I don't. I doubt he's in, like they show him in the makeup chair ever. So who knows? Uh, my one and only issue is I don't think his wig is particularly good quality. I can see the kind of you can tell it's a wig, and, and like why? It, it's not super noticeable unless you're like super nitpicking details. Like if you're a casual person watching Thrawn, yeah, you you would never notice. It's the same as Sabine's, but I just kind of looked at it and I'm like something about this it 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 just doesn't feel natural to me like the way the line between his wig and his forehead that that just doesn't feel like natural hair to me that was my one and only complaint it's because he is wearing i think it's just because you just know it's a wig and that's you know it's a wig that's all it is because i'm looking at pictures of that suspension of disbelief isn't there yeah i'm looking at him with his natural hair and i'm just like I mean, you could have just dyed his hair black and called it a day, honestly. I don't think it's that big a deal. I, it's I mean, not. I I'm not about to sit it. here and declare the show terrible because two wigs seemed <laughs> nope. off to me. Cancel cancel Star Wars. Cancel yeah. Kathleen Kennedy. The Thrawn wig is bad. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, Ahsoka in The Mandalorian, her Montreal things did not look quite right. They kind of fixed them, you know, moving forward. It just evolved over time as the makeup department got more comfortable with the show and everything. I think the same thing goes here. You know, season one, Thrawn might not look like 100%, but then season two, maybe they'll get a better wig. The budget will be more. You know, who knows? Like, maybe they'll fix it. They'll also have the movie that's coming eventually. Oh, for sure. And then, you know, of course, lighting-wise, I'll give it to them. You know, a lot of the scenes that Thrawn's in and all 
that he's in is it's fairly dark, right? They don't have a ton of lighting. Maybe I'm not going to spoil anything we're going to talk about later, but on different environments later on, he might look different, you know, in different lighting, different things. So who knows? Um, My next note is, oh yeah, that's definitely Thrawn. Everything from the voice to the way that Lars moves to the visual design of the character, that's that's him. That's I him. almost needed him on screen longer. Like, I know he was on for a long time, like in terms of like TV time. He was on for a pretty decent amount of time. But I don't know, something about when he was on screen, it's like you just wanted him to keep talking. You wanted him to keep doing something, even if like it was just simple stuff. Like you just wanted to see him do more. Everything. They had to get a couple of things perfect in this show. Thrawn was one of them and they nailed it. The I choice to bring Lars back, the choice to consult with Timothy Zahn while they were writing the character. Uh, all of these choices, fantastic. Like, I love him. I love him so much in this show. He's easily one of the standout portrayals in the show for me. It's it's the same principle as, as Bo-Katan bringing back Katie Sackhoff to be Bo-Katan. When you get somebody who's inhabited the character for so long, they really understand who they are. And you know they're doing it in a different medium, but you can also tell that Lars really deeply loves being Thrawn. And he's just having his own cunty little time with it. And it's it's funny because like, you know, I, I remember for the longest time people were fan casting and doing all kinds of like edits online of like Pierce Brosnan or whatever, like, you know, as Thrawn and stuff like that, like, or a Benedict Cumberbatch or something. Oh, the Pierce Brosnan thing is so funny because there's art of him in Legends that looks like Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. It's it's so fucking funny. I just love that. And the, but it's funny because, like, we thought we would see, like, we had an idea of what it would be in live action one way. And then when you actually see it and you're like, no, really, only Lars could have done this. I don't think anybody could have truly done it in the same way. I think we would have had, like, people would have just been like, hmm, this wasn't as successful as a from cartoon to you know a live action transition and it would have been bad for the show honestly and i think they did a great job so props to them thrawn mentions uh in they're having their conversation uh, a couple of people mention there's some sort of cargo transfer that his agreement he's made with the great mothers and something about the catacombs that whatever cargo they're attempting to transfer it's coming out of the catacombs catacombs being famously a place you put dead people Right. So remember and, how I said yeah. there was no alive Night Sisters and and Dathomiri around besides the Great Mothers? Right. Yeah, they're moving some boxes out of the place where they keep dead people. Just we're gonna keep that in mind. And I like that Morgan's like, I've seen the catacombs. It's gonna take like three days. <laughs> you have a lot of dead people, bro. She's like, it's gonna take at least three episodes to finish those guys. I also love how when when they mention Sabine, Thrawn's like, oh yeah, I know her. The way, yeah, the way he says that too, he's like, I've heard that name before. Just first the way he he's like, oh yeah, fucking her. And then she gets let in, she's like, oh, hey, bitch. Yeah, she doesn't even phase her. She's just like, oh, Thrawn. it's you again. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love the conversations Sabine and Thrawn have a lot because Thrawn is a person who never, ever operates on faith. And Sabine is doing this entirely on faith. And the values clash that they have in this conversation where he's like, I don't get why you're doing this. And she's like, yeah, you well, you wouldn't. To which his response is, perhaps not. Which one, sick reference to the books there by having Thrawn say perhaps. Enoch takes Sabine down and tells her to die well, which I find really interesting given the context of the night troopers in episode eight. 
I also he he seems I it's hard to like dance around talking about him and the night troopers without spoiling what we know in the and the end but he seems human here like he's just a guy because the way he talks the way he like he you know he talks with the mount you know that's clearly a trained like animal all this stuff it seems like only a person can do that right so like for me he's just a regular dude like he just happened to survive the Ezra thing catastrophe whatever we'll call it unlike a lot of the troopers <laughs> yes so, without getting into it too much so he just like yeah he just seems like a dude and then he but he also i don't know if he's the one training the animals he i would assume he'd have to be if or, this is the or case. somebody is that also begs the question of like if the night troopers are what they kind of seem to be in episode eight like do they have specialized ones right. like do they have ones that are pre-programmed sort of to do things like yeah i guess because you can use it's i have a like, lot yeah. of logistical questions about the night troopers and how uh, they work and get to them in episode i know eight. i it's like oh it's like hard to talk about it without talking about it uh sabine rides off with her on her howler we will find out they later called a howler and this was my note that's like this entire planet gives me lord of the rings vibes it's a whole lot of just grasslands and just nothing like fields well, it's a very specific sort of rocky grass yeah thing but it's also got the ancient structures like this is a thing in the visual design of lord of the rings is because it's the third age you've got so many ancient structures sort of dotting the landscape and there's scenes in lord of the rings where they're like hanging out in these old whatever this whole place gives me lord of the rings vibes for sure they have this little conversation thrawn's like yeah go kill her and I, my note is ah yes thrawn is a villain I hope we all remembered that he is he is the bad guy. And I want to know the motivations for this plant. Because, like, I my only thought process is Thrawn is only doing this on purpose because what his plan is is really, like, I don't really care. Well, that's in the next section, and I'll talk about it then. But I was about to say, yeah, Thrawn, Thrawn explains He explains it later on. clearly, later yeah, 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 yeah. on. It just, when you watch in this, this scene, in this scene doesn't Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You're like, why like, is he doing this? Yeah, well, why, you why, also... Why, why? You also have to remember he's he doesn't seem particularly interested in Balin and Shin. He almost kind of seems to want to get rid of them. Balin, we will find out in a couple of episodes, is planning to just fuck off and do whatever he wants. Right. So Balin's angling to get away from this. Like the whole point of this was for him to get to Beridia. Because for reasons we will find out in the next section or two. So he's kind of looking. Thronoma certainly has picked up on this. So Thrawn's like, let me get rid of the people who don't care. If I can get rid of Ezra and Sabine, great. If I can strand them here, great. If I can get rid of these two force-using maniacs in the meantime, also great. All this wins for me. I just need to buy time. All right, Bradley. Remember how I teased at the beginning there was a note that kind of, uh, kind of would have... I think resolved your big issue with the episode. Okay. They should have rolled credits right here. Her scene with going Thrawn off into the sunset or whatever. Yeah. They have the conversation. She, she Thrawn is like, go after her. Uh, I don't care what happens. Boom. The, the episode's over. All I of agree. that was a great villain focused episode. I agree. All of that was a great episode. Introducing our villain, getting into the motivations of the others around. Morgan has her conversation with the Night Sisters that we didn't even touch on. We've introduced the Great Mothers. We've got some more Balin and Shin stuff. And we've introduced Thrawn, Captain Enoch, and we've discussed a little bit. So this is a great, solid 20-minute villain episode. The credit should have ended here. Right, because now it's the Sabine show. Now it's the Sabine show. For the next 18 <laughs> minutes, it will basically be the Sabine show. Yeah. And it will be really good. 
but we have now totally shifted focus. Midway through the episode, we have pumped the brakes and spun the wheel a little bit, and we have moved into a different lane because now we are the Sabine show. Even though the villains will turn up in scenes in the back half of this episode, they are no longer the focus. They were the focus of the first half. They are no longer the focus of the second half. And even the Ahsoka episode last week that I said should have cut in the middle and we should have had a little more time, that was Ahsoka throughout the entire episode. The through line was Ahsoka. Shin's just kind of there for the first half of this episode. And I feel like that, again, if the show was structured as 16 episodes or 15 episodes of 20 minutes, maybe animated, maybe not, but they broke it along those lines, a lot of these sections would have felt a lot more internally strong. Right, because... I mean, I haven't read the next section yet, but if I'm like looking at my little thing, it's like that stuff should have just been all together. Like it could have just been all together. We don't need to have all this stuff randomly, like before Sabine leaves. Like it doesn't make any sense. You could have had all this stuff like they were just all before all this actually this next section actually should take place before she's officially gone or like right before she leaves. Uh, you mean the Thrawn conversation? Yeah, the Thrawn conversation. Uh, even like the scene of Balin and Shin getting on their thing and just going after her. Like that could have just been included in the last bit. Like it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't really, because uh, it makes sense when we talk about it, but it's just like weird. Did you have the Thrawn conversation in the next section? Yeah. Okay. It comes you after read she. That? You want to read that and just insert it at the beginning or in well, the end of the last one? Well, it comes after uh, she gets attacked by bandits. So that's why. I... Uh, it does not. It in the episode it does. It it absolutely does not. Him talking privately with Elspeth is no. Okay, scene. we're talking about two different Thrawn. We're do, we're talking two different Thrawn explains his evil plan scenes. I was talking about the Thrawn explains his evil plan scene where he yeah, explains his that's evil before. plan to yeah. Balin and Shen. That was the end of this section. Yeah, yeah, I put that. Okay, in you're talking about Thrawn explains his evil plan to Morgan, which is a different right. Thrawn monologues about his evil plan scene. Good God, this man monologues about his evil plan so much. That's what I'm saying. It just it doesn't. It's I don't know. It's weirdly broken up. Section four, riding her howler on the steps of the landscape, Sabine is attacked by bandits. She defeats the bandits using her lightsaber, but her scanner is damaged in the fight. Balin and Shin pursue Sabine on their howlers, while at the Chimera, night troopers load storage containers onto the ship, and Thrawn privately tells Elspeth that the fate of Ren, Bridger, Balin, and Shin ultimately does not matter to him. This ambush scene, this scene where Sabine gets ambushed, this would have been an incredible cold open to an episode. I almost, yeah, like when you said that, like, okay, her leaving is the end cap of the episode, then cut to black. Opening, cold open, she gets attacked and she survives, and then it says part seven, whatever. Ahsoka. Like, yeah, Ahsoka, yeah. Ahsoka part 6.5. 6.5. Turtle right. people. Right. Turtle people, I like it. Uh, Sabine and the Howlers, big day out. I don't fucking know what you call <laughs> this. They need to make a children's book uh, that's just Sabine and the Howler, and that's it. Like it's... <laughs> uh, But this ambush would have been an incredible opening to an episode i agree it was really cool and because uh, it the, sets up the relationship between sabine and the howler right uh it it damages the scanner so now we've set up the overarching problem of the episode that she now has to find ezra without this scanner what's she going to do is she going to rely yeah. on her training is she going to trust in the force is she going to get frustrated because we've seen in the pr- couple of episodes ago that's her main flaw is she gets frustrated and makes her angry 
I, you know, what's funny is we were talking about this yesterday. They announced an Ahsoka comic book series that's just going to chronicle the eight episodes. This would have been its own episode of a cartoon. Yeah. It would be uh, Sabine by herself with the Howler looking for Ezra the entire time. And they would have teased them. him at the very end or something. Like it would have been like. I need them to fucking stop with these comic adaptations of shows. I know. Unless you're going to do something slightly different in the comic. Yeah. Like then they're, what's the point? Yeah. Like I've seen ones from the shots from the Obi-Wan Kenobi and it's literally they just redraw they just like fucking trace over the you you guys need to at least the mandalorian ones i read a couple of the mandalorian ones at least those are comics that somebody drew with their hands yeah that they're trying to do an adaptation but whatever i i'm not yeah. gonna complain about that because i don't want to tend it too much in this episode no 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 i i just this is a light section but i i think that this little bit was so like it has so much meat to it this tiny little section that like you could have built a whole episode around this like i think it was it has interesting bits and things i think they should have gone a little more into who the bandits were why are they there what species are they like they're just random to me in this episode i don't know what they are i like their design they i like the i love of, their design the I, samurai-esque I noted, like design yeah. is really cool which i think is really interesting yeah i i don't I, know what they they're just called bandits of peridia i don't yeah. know what we don't know anything about are. them yeah it just says unknown species so it's like they could be anything uh but they also ride howlers, which I thought was interesting. So that yep. clearly is the mount of choice in this section of the planet, I guess. I don't know. Well, villains villains riding wolf-like creatures is sure a, a common thing. It's in Lord of the Rings. I was just orcs. about to say they give orc vibes. They look like, like they look like wargs from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, which, they sound like evil orc like things or something. I don't know what they would be, but yeah, yeah. I also want to note in this section, it's really interesting the way the the way that Sabine fights because I noticed that her her fighting style, she fights like a Mandalorian. She's still fighting like a Mandalorian, like the way that Den fights with his Beskar armor. She's fighting the same way where blaster bolts are kind of a secondary concern because they're just whacking her chest plate and her back plate as she's as she's doing this fight. I also I love the scene of Thrawn explaining his evil plans to Morgan because I love when Thrawn explains his evil plans. I like that he just doesn't give a fuck about Balin or Shin. He's just like, well, they're extraneous people anyway. Like, our only goal is to get off this fucking planet. Like, I don't give a fuck about Jedis. I don't give a fuck about ex-Jedis. I don't give a fuck about Sabine. Like, they're gone now. So, like, let's just hurry up our shit and let's get out of here. <laughs> and He's like, come, the, little, the little Force users will do their little Force user thing and we'll just be off here doing the real plot. Section 5. Sabine berates her howler for abandoning her during the bandit fight, calling it a coward. However, she decides to give the creature another chance. The howler leads Ren to a valley where they encounter a noti, initially disguised as a rock. Ren recognizes the rebel alliance symbol on a necklace the creature is wearing, indicating a potential connection to Ezra. It signals for her to follow into the valley. Meanwhile, Balin and Shin track down Sabine and they discover the remains of a battle between Ren and the bandits, deducing that Ren was still alive and at that moment the bandits approach the two the scene of sabine and the howler when i first watched it i was like oh haha that's really funny the second time i watched it i went oh no wait this is kind of a microcosm for the sabine's relationship with everybody because sabine has deep abandonment issues 
And that was her whole thing at the start of the season was she felt like Ahsoka had abandoned her. She did not want to be the one to extend her hand out and say, I want to come back because she was scared of Ahsoka's response. So now in the same position, she's upset because the Howler abandoned her during the fight. But the Howler still keeps trying to come back. And so Sabine's eventually like, you know what? Okay, I will. I will give you another chance the same way I gave Ahsoka another chance. And then immediately the Howler ends up leading her to the Noti. So that works out for her. It's this interesting little microcosm of, of her character throughout this entire journey. And I just love the personality of the Howler in general. Like, I feel like I know that it can't understand her in the sense that it speaks basic, but like it knows her feelings. And like, I guess that's just like a force thing, but it like it just understands her in that way. Kind of. I don't know. I, I It's like a dog. Dogs just know things. And it's just funny. I like how there's a there's a common saying with regards to dogs that there are no bad dogs. There are just bad owners. And I'm getting that sense with the Howler because the Howlers are presented as this very threatening, like terrifying species. We're introduced to it and it's supposed to be like unnerving to the audience when she first walks up to the Howler. But the second he gets... Uh, like an owner that treats her treats him like Sabine treats him then uh suddenly he's just a big dog yeah he's just, he's just a, a big good boy yeah. <laughs> and it's like oh oh you have not been treated with a modicum of kindness in your entire life okay uh and suddenly I am willing to throw myself in front of a train for the howler I almost want there to I mean again knowing that there's going to be a season two I want the howler to show back up in season two and meet the cat I feel like that is a scene we need. It's going to happen at some point. It has to. Just as a reminder, Merle the Lothcat is fine. <laughs> he is okay. He can enter it. He now owns the tower. And right? That's his tower now. He can come and go from going, it as he pleases. The cat is going to absolutely hate the Howler. <laughs> So they, they show up and Sabine's like, yeah, it's a rock. My first thought, which is not for Bradley, it's for the audience, was, oh my god, Geode. Bradley will not understand this, but uh, the audience will. Some people will laugh and we will move on. So we get our introduction to the Noti in this scene. Uh, the Noti people are a turtle people with rocks on their backs that wear old timey waistcoats. And this is the best thing that happened in the show. I, I don't know this how I feel so about This is so fucking stupid, but I it's so fucking it. Star Wars. It's you know what? weird. You're right. It's very Ewok. It's very, like, just weird little alien thing that's cute, but also weird and then adorable. And then just, well, like, why are they here? Keep this, keep this in mind. We talked about in a previous episode that if you're going to go to a different galaxy, the fundamental rules of the universe have to remain the same. But the rules of that galaxy are going to be different. Of course, the turtle people have waistcoats, Bradley. This is a completely different galaxy. Yeah, I love that they wear clothes. They're just like, we're kind of a nomadic species, but we have like these very like old timey kind of outfits. I don't know. It's, it's just adorable. It's great. I love them so much. They're fantastic. The, the exchange between Sabine and the Nodi where, where they figure out kind of over the language barrier, they figure out that they both know Ezra. I just like it because I like the idea of, of symbols and I like the idea of, of the use of symbols in culture as a way to communicate across gaps. I like the way that a commonality in symbols 
allows people to communicate with each other, regardless of whether or not they can actually understand each other. I like that tiny moment. And I think that's really cool. I also like that when she's trying to communicate with them, they say like, blah, 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 Ezra, blah, blah. like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like yeah, the, the random name. Yeah, I love it. It's being so brought funny. up. Uh, over on the Shin and Balin side of things, their conversation, there's so much to this conversation. I, I, I can't get into every single detail. Remember how I said back in episode three, I remember I said, take note of the term, the Boken Saber, which is the weaker wooden training saber that they use. Yeah. So Balin calls Ezra part of a generation of quote, Boken Jedi, Jedi who are weaker and not quite the real thing and trained outside of the order, which is... Fuck you, Balin. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you basically, your your apprentice is is not that the same description. She brings this up. She says, "Am I not the same?" And he goes, "No, they were trained to be Jedi. I trained you to be something more." Again, going back to the idea that he's training her not in any particular way, but specifically, he's trying to mold her into what he wants her to be. Yeah, it's just weird because his analogy it just doesn't make sense because like that would mean that like Ezra and Luke are weaker versions of Jedi. That's because, what he thinks. Yeah, he's but wrong. It's like not, clearly he's not, not correct. True. <laughs> right. No, he's not correct in what he's saying. But yeah. this is the character's analysis that the Jedi that were trained out in the wild are weaker. And but even he thinks the Order itself is weak. You we get the the meme quote in this episode. The I miss the idea of it, but not the truth. The weakness mm. quote from Balin, which in addition to being a funny meme, is uh, very indicative of how he feels. Which he's trying to do better. He's trying to break the cycle. And he's trying to do it by listening to something calling for him. Something out there is calling Balin. I wonder if we're ever going to find out what that is. Some power greater than even the Knights uh, sisters that they might be fleeing from. Mm. That he speculates. We will come back to this. But remember I said at this beginning too, the statues being like on the surface of Malachor and there being something under the surface. I think there are clues throughout these back three episodes that something is beneath Peridia. There's something lurking here. There's some darkness under Peridia or something that Balin wants or someone that's reaching out to him as it's said in this scene. And the speculation right now is it could be some entity. We also know that Palpatine would also hear calls from the unknown regions, which we now know is most likely Exegol. There's a lot going on here. Section 7. Finally, Sabine arrives at the Noti settlement. She is met by one Ezra Bridger and they are finally reunited. Ezra wonders how she found Peridia, but Sabine deflects the question. Meanwhile, at the Night's Sister Fortress, the Great Mothers inform Thrawn of an approaching Jedi to Peridia. Thrawn questions if it could be Ahsoka Tano, considering she was deceased after her duel with Balin. Morgan, relying on Skull's assurance of Tano's death, deems it impossible. However, Thrawn, cautioning against underestimating Jedi, demands information on her history and prepares for her arrival. Oh, hi, Ezra Bridger. Bradley, oh, you want to tell us who's, who's playing Ezra Bridger? Yes, uh, Ezra Bridger is being played by one Amon Isfandi. He is known for films such as King Richard and The Inspection. He also is a musician, and he makes music under the name Dragon Wolf. I fucking love this guy. He's 
honestly this dude this perfect. dude in addition in addition <laughs> to being gorgeous which he is yes. this man is fucking gorgeous in addition to being gorgeous he is not only super talented but he's just cool as hell. Like when the SAG strike ended and he could finally start posting, this man just is Ezra Bridger. He really is. Like everything he posts on social media, I'm like, yeah, that's 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 what Ezra Bridger would post. Like, like he's so funny. Even like I saw stuff where like he was signing his Funko Pops or whatever as Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, no, he gets it. Like, like he gets the joke. He no, he's clearly a big Rebels fan. He's clearly read stuff. Like he's posted about reading the Star Wars books. Like clearly, this man one loves Ezra Bridger, and you can tell. But he like gets him. Like the way that he shifts into the Ezra Bridger like stances, and the way that he puts the intonations on the voice, he gets. He he understands this. This is Ezra Bridger. They went out and they just found Ezra Bridger. Yeah, I don't know how they were able to capture his essence so well in this per first of all in just this person let alone the actor portraying Ezra's mannerisms and just mentality and just everything like I don't know how they did it I really don't I mean props to the casting and props to Amon like I don't understand how <laughs> they did it so perfectly but they did easily without a doubt one of the best casting decisions of the show Amon is Fondi and this is a show where I don't think a single casting choice has been a dud. There has not been a single one that's been off. Every actor that they found perfectly embodies the roles of their character. It's so true. And you know what I do like, though, is that, again, knowing we have a season two and knowing that we, we're, in, look, we're in part six, right? And we've introduced these two major players in the Star Wars universe, Ezra and Thrawn. And it's we're only in the sixth episode and there's only eight. So that means these two actors only have three episodes to really, you know, kind of wow us and like give us a performance. I love the fact that, I mean, spoiler, they both survived by the end of the uh, season and we're going to get to have them start from the very beginning of the next season. Like, it's not yes, like we get all we get them the whole time, the whole time. So we don't have to have this like truncated version of these characters like we kind of do in this season, which I do think is a misstep only because these are they're so good at what they do. Like, it's like it sucks that we didn't get them more episodes. But, you know, the only note I have this about this scene, this entire scene, it's very sweet. It's very nice. Sabine and, es and Ezra reunite. There's a little bit of tension because Sabine doesn't want to talk about how she got there uh there's a little bit of tension because like ezra's like oh i'm so happy to go home and sabine's like mm, mm, awkward awkward uh but my only thing that i i specifically wrote down was yes of course ezra bridger is hanging out with the turtle people and learned to speak their language oh of, of course I mean, obviously he, had, he yeah. did i mean he had like 10 years to do it so it's like you know why not yep and the fact he's he's 10 years out of the game will come up in the next episode but yeah like if you're gonna ask me where's ezra bridger yeah obviously this is where ezra bridger would would wind up this is this is what he would end up doing also, it's so interesting to think about that 10 year gap, because when he left in Rebels, like he had no idea, like if they won the war, if this all all he did was help them win the battle, essentially. Right. Because all he did was take Thrawn out of the equation. So he's like giving them a decent chance to win the war. Right. That was kind of the whole purpose, essentially, of getting rid of Thrawn. He has no idea. Like, did they win? Did they lose? What's been going on in the, uh, you know, in the Republic for the last, you know, or what he used to think was the Empire for the last 10 years? We don't know. Like, so I, I feel like immediately he would be like, so did we win? <laughs> like, what, what happened? Uh, 
some people have actually identified the Battle of Lothal and specifically Thrawn being removed from the equation as the beginning of the end of the Empire. Yeah. Some people have looked at like the charted the thing and said that is specifically the moment because Thrawn was one of the only Imperial officers, if not the only Imperial officer besides maybe Tarkin, who wasn't completely self-interested. Right. Even Palpatine and Vader are incredibly selfish people who are incredibly self-centered and self-interested. Thrawn has his own agenda, and his agenda is the protection of the Chiss Ascendancy. But in order to fulfill that, he's completely detached. He's not doing the things he's doing because he personally wants power. He's doing the things he's doing because he personally he has his own goals and his own motivations. And those motivations are kind of to an extent selfless. He is focused on protecting the ascendancy. And the best way to do that is to keep a strong imperial presence in the known galaxy. So removing Thrawn from the equation and then barely a year later, I think, uh, the Death Star explodes and kills Tarkin. And these are the two biggest losses to Imperial High Command. The Imperial High Command never recovers from losing Thrawn and uh, Tarkin. Everybody else they put in charge, Tag, uh, everybody else, is either completely unable to have opinions of their own or thoughts of their own and are just in the machine doing their job like Piet or they're people like Orson Krennic who's completely self-interested and just wants to rise through the ranks who you know dies before the Death Star but it's people like Krennic. So Ezra Bridger significantly contributed to the rebellion winning the war. He doesn't know any of that. He has no idea what he did. That's so crazy to me, but it's cool. Meanwhile, back on uh, the Penetrated Star Destroyer, which I literally wrote in my notes. Of course you did. Uh, meanwhile, on the Bottoming Star Destroyer, I'm sorry, again, this is just a note for me and no one else. I, Claudia Black is such a good actress, and she's got such a varied catalog. When she speaks, I hear Morrigan. I can't not. I've, I've played hundreds of hours of Dragon Age Origins. I've played over a thousand hours of Dragon Age Inquisition. I, I hear Morrigan say the word Jedi and my brain breaks, fundamentally cracks down at a structural level. That was just a note for me and no one else. Thrawn kind of has his moment where he's like mansplaining Elspeth's own culture to her, which not great, but he does have this hilarious line that I wrote down, which his overall point is don't underestimate the Jedi, which reasonable, but he has this specific line that I just want to bring up for no particular reason. Death and resurrection are common concepts in both the Night Sisters and the Jedi. Hmm. Dave, what did you know when you wrote that line? That's a weird uh, line that clearly has no ulterior meaning or anything. No era. relevance to anything that's coming up. <laughs> no one's ever really gone, is what Thrawn just said. No one's ever really gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, I wonder if Dave knew that they were going to bring Asajj Ventress back hmm. when he wrote this line. Maybe. My, my final note, uh, he does say he wants to know who Ahsoka's master is. Would it surprise you to learn this line was also very controversial? Is it because of, I'm, I guess I'll just dub it Thrawn 2, uh, the second book. Thrawn Alliances, Thrawn 2, Electric Boogaloo, yeah. It, uh, Anakin specifically mentions Ahsoka, and Ahsoka was the one who designed a move that Thrawn really likes and adapts later. Hmm. So a lot of people were very mad that he does not seem to know who Ahsoka Tano's master is uh, when yeah. she was mentioned. My thing is, I'm like, that was 30 years ago. I, that's my defense, too. He's like, give him a fucking break. He's he's like, smart dude, but like, come he's on. He's a smart dude, and he remembers a lot of details, but I don't remember 
well, I mean, I was three years old 30 years ago, but even even like 10 years ago, I, I don't have a lot of strong memories right. of specific people. But you could also argue that like 30 years before this point, Thrawn was in his 40s, like or 30s or 40s. Like, so yeah, it's he's like, like he's he's not a young guy now no, either. He's much older. So it's like I couldn't tell you. You want to know you want to know a sad, a sad fact on the podcast, Bradley? Oh, God. I could not tell you the names of anyone you and I went to class with, except for you and I. Not a single other person. I cannot tell you the name of a single. Couldn't even I remember tell you the my dramatic. Name. I could tell you the professors' names. I couldn't even do that. I could tell you about half our professors' names. Nope, couldn't do it. I could. I could do two of them. That's how close me and Thrawn are. I don't know. <laughs> I remember my dramatic writing people because there were only like ten of us. So like, obviously I remember them, but like random people, like the people that you and I took all those classes with, no, I don't remember a single one of their names. But again, in his defense, it's like, why would I hold a person's name? One person, singular person's Padawan's name in my brain, like when I have to deal with all this other shit that I've been dealing with, like Empire and then the Rebels and then the Just Ascendancy and all that kind of stuff. Like he's got a lot to think about and and I don't think he cares. We'll see later on, like the minute he the minute he he the memory is jogged and he's like oh no that's anakin's padawan okay i know what's going on here i remember anakin skywalker he clearly knows anakin skywalker so the line was controversial but it kind of gets explained in the next episode sure uh that's all my notes do you have any additional notes on this section no i guess i can jump right into the directed by if you're good Uh, who bradley who directed and who wrote this episode bradley Okay. Who put this... pen to paper and typed the words that we just watched on this episode? This episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Known for directing episodes of shows such as Mad Men, Westworld, Marvel's Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and Agent Carter, and How to Get Away with Murder. She wrote three episodes of Death She directed three episodes. Dire- I'm sorry, directed three episodes of Just For You. So Yeah, I looked up to see if they were episodes that uh, I specifically remember. Uh, not off the top of my head. Gotcha. Uh, she directed an episode in season two, an episode in season three, an episode in season five. Uh, she also directed, yeah, she's directed a bunch of shows that I really like. Like some big shows. Like I was like some very, big yeah. shows too. Like I was looking through some of these and I was it like. It was hard for me to pick ones because I was like, well, she's actually pretty prolific. I was like, oh, these are like some really big mm-hmm. uh, shows. So that's why I couldn't name all of them. But those were just ones that stood out to me that were pretty big. So. And she only usually does, it looks like, one or two episodes. She directed ten episodes of Bad Men, but usually it's one, two, or three. I think there's one that here that she did four episodes of, but she usually just comes in and does an episode. And she did a really great job with this one. Who wrote this episode, Bradley? The uh, episode was written by Dave Flynn. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts on this episode? So my final thoughts, I, I actually liked this episode a lot. I think I agree with you. I think it's it kind of felt like a first part of an episode that was more like, let's get to Thrawn. And then the second part of the episode was more like, let's get to Ezra. And it was kind of like, a, these are two different episodes, really. It doesn't really feel too cohesive. Um, I also feel like that, like usually you want some kind of character arc in the episode. I, I mean, the villains don't have any character arc other than just, we found Thrawn. Like, there's nothing. Hooray! That, yeah, it's really, that's all it is. And Sabine's is just been her story the whole time. There's, I mean, if anything, this is the end of her arc of, I found 
Ezra. I mean, that's about it. I don't think it's any, like, she doesn't go through any emotional kind of changes. I mean, she's still fucking lying to Ezra. She didn't tell him how she got there. She didn't do any. So there's still room for her character to grow um, and do things later on in the season, which will eventually happen. Um, for now, yeah, no changes have really been made. So I felt like I don't like using the F word for this episode but it's a transitional episode as well there we go what we would call a moving people into place episode yes no i thought this was a really solid if you think of the back three episodes of this this show is a trilogy is a three-part finale absolutely yeah this is the first act of that and the first act is notably gonna not contain as many emotional beats right as the second two because it's we've introduced six new characters on screen in just this this 45 minute episode we've got six new characters we've got to move sabine into place to be with ahsoka we've got to move balan and shin away from thrawn and co we have to redo the entire dynamics because thrawn is here now so i think it does a good job of moving all of those around i love the sabine stuff in the back half of the episode we didn't cover it a lot but she has a lot of great little character moments and a lot of great little choices that natasha makes in bringing this character to life and her interaction with Ezra was everything that I wanted it to be. Uh, Absolutely incredible work by her in this episode. I do, yeah, I do kind of wish it had been split into two because it really is a two-part episode. But I do see how a lot of it is setting up Thrawn and moving everybody into position so that when we get into the next episode, we can have the next episode. Uh, In which Ahsoka comes back and gets to be a much bigger presence in the show called Ahsoka. Alrighty, next week we are covering... Ahsoka episode seven, part seven, some other words that I didn't look up before I said this. Pluggables time. We have too many of these now. You and I are doing too much stuff. Uh, That's why I had to simplify it down uh, to my one show because I was like, I can't, I can't do all of it, guys. You can watch a bunch of shows that Bradley has worked on in some capacity on both Peacock and Bravo. We only promote one at a time. Right now we are promoting the one that is airing, which is Married to Medicine Season 10. You can find me over on the Four Light and Dice TTRPG podcast set in the High Republic era. We are about to uh, record our next session literally tomorrow, so we will be picking up on the big emotional beat where we left off. I have also launched a gay thriller series set in the porn industry. It is called Beach House Studios. The Beach House is one word with one H. You can find that on Amazon where you can purchase it outright, or if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can get it there. That was my very succinct uh, pluggables. pluggables. You can tell I practiced saying that the Beach House is one H, one word, because I've had to explain it to so many (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting ultimately for Bradley to finish his ARC and get his I'm sure no doubt glowing review of the ending. Of course. Uh, alrighty, well that's it for this week. Bradley, go ahead and run these socials. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com to let us know. You can also find us on Twitter at at GoldSquadGaze, and you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at at GoldSquadronGaze. You can also find us on YouTube at our Gold Squadron Gaze YouTube channel, where we post full episodes of this show. Finally, if you liked the show, don't forget to rate us and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform. That allows other people to find our show. As always, thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze, and we'll see you next week. 
take us into the straight into the first part. We are just going straight into we, it today. We sure are. Rather, Section... rather like a tower going straight into the bottom of a star destroyer. Be prepared for a lot of these jokes, Bradley. Okay. The chimera is being penetrated. Oh, I was like, what? I don't get this joke, but okay. You will. You will be sick of these by the end of the back three episodes of this series. Every time I see this, I'm like, ah, yes. The grand tradition of Castle Dildo. 